don't know if you noticed it, but we're getting closer and closer to a choir. Amen. It's just growing and growing and growing and growing. You might be the next one up there. Amen. What a Savior he is. And we certainly thank the Lord. We're looking forward to just what God has in store for 2024 and trusting that God will have us all in our place here at Crossroads Baptist Church doing what we're supposed to do for his glory and for our good. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Philippians chapter number 1. Philippians chapter number 1. Go there with me in the word of God. And I'd like to introduce our theme today for the entire year. Philippians chapter number 1. Let me give a special thanks to everyone involved in our music and video and audio, everything you see on the screen, everything you hear that comes through the sound system, all of the music that you hear. We appreciate all of the information that comes to us on the screens. It's a help to all of us. Amen. And all of this is done under the direction of Pastor Mike. We appreciate his leadership and vision. And then every one of these folks that works on these teams to be able to make this possible. We believe that the message of the Word of God is important enough. We ought to do everything we can to get it to everybody we can get it to. And we'll make it clear, and we certainly want to make it so that everybody can understand it. So this takes time. People have to do this. They have to, they have to input this information. Everything you see people are doing, and people are operating computers and all these cameras that show you or show me or go back and forth and what goes up on the screen that has to be put in and someone's doing all of that and all of these microphones, all of this is done and it's, and it's done well. It's done well and, and it's done well without apology because we're doing it for the Lord. Now, now down the road last night they were doing it well for the devil and, and charging a lot of money for it. Now, shame on us if we do it better for the devil than we do it for Jesus. We ought to do it well, but we, we appreciate all of those. So let's, let's say thank you to all of those that work and labor. Let's give them a hand for that, and we appreciate it. That's one of them hold your Bible in your hand hands. I understand it's a little handicapped in its, in its resurgence, but we understand the context. Philippians chapter number 1. Now, for the next several weeks, we're going to look at all these verses, at least for the first part of the chapter. But for today, I want to pick up in verse number 8, 9, and 10. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray. That your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. That ye may approve things that are excellent. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Let's look at verse number 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. Let the church say amen. amen. Our Father, we pray you add thy blessing to the reading of your word. 
Cleanse me of sin, empty me of self, and fill me with your spirit. Help me to preach with us, saith the Lord. Hide me behind the cross of Christ. Lord, I want to convey a thought, and I have a number of thoughts to convey to make that thought even more clear. So I pray, God, that you'd help me. Guide my mind, my lips, and then give us all studious attention to start this first Sunday off of the year, receiving the charge, embracing the challenge in one accord to move forward for you. If anyone doesn't know Jesus, might today be the day that one comes to a saving knowledge of the truth. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. I have quite a bit I want to say. I don't know how much I will say, but I want to be very clear as to what God's Word is saying, and I want to talk to you as a pastor today as to how God has led me for the vision of this church in 2024. How many of you know if we don't have vision, the people perish? We've got to be going somewhere. You do understand that in your flesh dwelleth no good thing. Say amen. That means your flesh is wicked. You say, I'm saved. Your flesh ain't saved. Your flesh, just as lost as it ever was, is going to be lost until Jesus gets rid of it. Okay? So since our flesh is wicked, we need to set parameters around us and set goals in front of us so that we actually do something for the glory of God. So we have a vision on this Sunday of the year. It's not just to put it on paper. It's not just to put it on screens. It's not just to write it in our Bibles. It's not just to have it checked off in the box. It's a vision because we want to move in 2024 bringing honor and glory to Almighty God and we know that the flesh will be off in some ditch, derailed off some path, in something that we shouldn't be in, doing something that we shouldn't do, saying something we shouldn't say. So we're setting something in front of us. We're aiming at something. Hey, let me tell you something. There there is a bullseye. There is a goal. And by the way, the aim for every single believer is to be just like Jesus Christ. Somebody say amen. So we're setting a vision to go somewhere. All on board, say amen. Now, Philippians is a book that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi. For sake of time, I'm going to give you a concise history at how Philippians, the church, got started. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is headed on his second missionary journey, and he's got an itinerary. And he plans to go stop to stop that he's planned to go to and he's experienced by now. And he's got other people like Luke and, 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 and he's got Timothy with him and, 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 and Silas and they're headed off. And I can imagine these young guys are anticipating the most joy they've ever experienced in their life because they are with the greatest church planner, the greatest visionary, the greatest missionary, perhaps the greatest Christian in all of the Bible. And he's off on the journey, stop after stop, next stop after. And yet when Paul sets to go his first place, God won't let him. He goes to the next place the Holy, Holy Spirit won't let him he, and it seems like all of his plans are getting stopped listen to me now the psalmist said the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord but I'd like to tell you the stops are ordered by the Lord too so now he finds himself in Troas we've been discussing this some on Sunday nights and while he pauses at a place God sends a vision to him and the vision is a man in Macedonia this is a region. And this man in Macedonia 
is crying out to Paul, come over here and help us. This is a cry from somebody to come bring the gospel to them. By the way, that cry is happening all over the world, and the cry is coming to us. The greatest need for mankind is not better money. The greatest need for mankind is not more inventions. The greatest need for mankind is not just food and shelter. The greatest need for mankind is not just the greatest education. The greatest need for mankind is the gospel. The fact Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. Paul heard the Macedonian cry and listen to me when he heard it he obeyed and went to Macedonia Philippi is a region in Macedonia as a matter of fact when Paul went to Macedonia this was the first time recorded in scripture that the gospel landed on European soil and ultimately we know by history from Europe the gospel came to America so I'm just telling you you may not have been in Macedonia you may have never been to Europe but if you're here today and you're saved and you're in America you ought to thank God that it was a Christian that believed in obeying God that went where God sent him and when it got there it ended up getting here say amen if you're glad you're saved Acts chapter 16 Write it down in your notes. We're not going to look there this morning. But in Acts 16, he gets to Philippi and he meets three individuals that will serve as the nucleus and the genesis of a church. One is a damsel in distress. This is a woman who was having her body used by men to make money. And she knew that it was a worthless situation, but she didn't know anything different until a man came and told her about another man named Jesus. Somebody say amen. Hey, listen to me. There are still people today who are using their bodies for men to make money. And can I tell you, those ladies that are using their body for men to make money need to know about a man named Jesus, all right? And so Paul gave the gospel to this woman. Watch this now. She got saved. That's a good place to say amen. And when she got saved, she dropped that lifestyle and left those men for another man named Jesus. Jesus. And the Bible says they knew that their gains were gone. They knew they couldn't make money anymore out of her. She had found a new occupation. And by the way, when you find Jesus, you find a new occupation. There's a lady by the name of Lydia. She, she sold purple. So she was a seller of purple, the Bible tells us. And this was her trade. She too got saved. Later, she ended up opening up a church in her house. But Lydia gets saved, the damsel in distress gets saved, and the people in town get mad that people are getting saved. Matter of fact, these men get mad that they can't mon make money off these women anymore. They get mad that the gospel is going forth into the world. They get mad that the gospel is changing lives in their city, and they lock Paul and the folks up. And at midnight, Paul and Silas, instead of singing the blues, are singing praises. And the praises get from the prison cell to the heart of God. Aren't you glad you can't lock down prayers? I say it one more time. Aren't you glad you can't lock down prayers? You'll never be in a spot where God can't hear you. You'll never be in a valley where you can't get to God. Your Wi-Fi may be gone. Your cell service may be out. Your minutes may have run out. You may not have paid your bill and your service may be cut off. Your phone may not be working. Your battery may be dead. But I'm glad no matter where you are and what you're going through, there's not a prayer that you utter that cannot get to the ear and the heart of God. Hallelujah. And the prayer got to the heart of God that God sends an earthquake. Sends an earthquake, shakes up that prison cell so much that the chains fall off of Paul and Silas. The prison doors are open. And the guys that were locked down and locked up are now let loose. And the prison guard realizes 
that he has lost all the prisoners on his watch. So he thinks, so he draws his sword to kill himself because he knows he might as well kill himself because he's going to die anyway for losing the prisoners on the job. And Paul said, we aren't gone anywhere. We're still here. Uh, listen to me. God set us free. And now the prison guard becomes the third individual in Philippi gets saved. But the Bible says that guy, when he sees what God did for those guys, says to them, what must I do to be saved? And right there, the guy gets saved, his whole family gets saved, and they all get baptized, and they become the third participants in the genesis of the church at Philippi. Now Paul is in Rome, locked up again. And he's going to pick up his pen and write a letter to this church in Philippi. He has just received a gift from them that Epaphroditus, a man amongst them, brings to Paul. Paul says later in this letter that no other church sent money to me but you all. So this letter primarily is to thank them for sending what they sent and to challenge them to keep on doing right. But the letter is centered on the subject of joy. Everybody say joy. Now joy is distinctively different from happiness. Happiness is based on happenings. So you can only be happy if things are happening your way. Joy ain't based on happening. Happiness is based on happenings. Joy is based on Jesus. Somebody say amen. Come on, talk to me. Happiness is based on happenings. Joy is based on, no, some of you didn't get it. Happiness is based on happenings. Joy is based on Jesus. If you don't have your happiness this morning, then you probably didn't have the right happenings this morning. But if you have your joy this morning, something may have happened that didn't go well. You can lose your job and still have joy. Somebody you love can pass away and you still have joy. Your money can get funny, you still have joy. Your friends can betray you, betray you, you still have joy. Your body can be breaking up, you still have joy. Your mind can be going crazy, you still have You can get lied on and still have joy. You can get cheated and still have joy. You can get mistreated and still have joy. You can get run down and still have joy. You can get done wrong and still have joy because joy comes from Jesus. He's going to write about joy. He's going to spend four chapters from prison writing about joy. Now, how many of you know if you're writing about joy from jail, you must know Jesus? So that's how Philippians comes about. There's an endearment that exists between the author and the audience that needs to be recognized before we read the text. Because how many of you know I can talk to you different when we have a relationship? I ask again. How many of you know that people that have a relationship with you talk to you different than people that don't know you? You don't just go in my refrigerator if I don't know you like that. Can I get an amen? amen? You don't just reach off my plate if I don't know you like that. You don't reach off my plate if I know you like that. <laughs> so you certainly don't reach off my plate if I don't know you like that. Huh? We talk to each other when we're family, different than people. That, can, I, can, I, can you help me now that you understand me? See, 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 some people say, well, I, you know, 
I listen in on some of your messages, and the way you talk to your church, it's just like you're just talking to them like you really mean. Yeah, yeah, because I'm not just talking to people that walked in off the side of the road and sat in an auditorium. I'm talking to my friends. We've been in the trenches together. I've been to the hospital rooms with them. I married them. I dedicated their children. They call me when they have a burden. I pray for them early in the morning. They were there when I was sick in the hospital. We're not just homies that hook up for such a time as this. We're not just strangers that happen to be in the same shopping mall. We're not just in the slug line trying to avoid traffic and trying to get the HOV3. No, no, we're brothers. We're kinfolk. We, we, we love one another. We're family. We be brethren. And so there's an intimacy and communication that happens between Pastor Paul, huh? And member Philippians. He gets to verse number nine and tells these people he loves. These people that sent money to him when nobody else did. These people that cared about him when nobody else did. This, this church that he went to because a man was crying in a vision. And, and this church that began with, with a woman who was using her body for the gain of men. And, and a lady who was an entrepreneur. And a man who was guarding prisoners that God set free and found out, I want the God y'all have. And now this is a congregation of believers who are so in tune with God that they're sending missions money to Paul because they believe that if God has been good to us, we ought to be good to somebody else. So he says, this I pray. This I pray. Here it is, verse number nine. That your love may abound Yet more and more. That your love may abound yet more and more. So I won't talk about some of these words this morning, try to help us. And then I won't give you our theme. But I can't give you the theme unless I establish the words, because you can't appreciate the theme if you don't know what the word somebody help me preach. Listen, look, you, you can't be saying amen when you don't know what you amen in. People do that in church all the time. Well, Pastor Shaw preached this morning. What did he preach on? I don't know, but he preached. So Paul says, here's my prayer for you. My prayer is concerning your love. Here's my question this morning. What is love? What is Love. So let's talk about it because there are different words for love in the Greek. And every word in the Bible, it's, it's one word in our English language. When we read it in Scripture, we see love. But if you don't know what the Greek word is for that love, you don't know what that love means. So today I want to talk about what love is. There's eros. That's the kind of love in the Greek. This is the word, we get the word erotic. Watch this now. Be careful. It means much more, though, than just Romantic love or sexual feeling. This is 
feeling love. Uh, I love pizza. It, it really tastes good. I love that song because I enjoy that particular piece. Of me. I love the win because it means something when, when, when I achieve victory. Eros is directed toward things or people or situations that make us feel good. For example, when we're being influenced by Eros, we say to someone, I love you. Why? Because you make me feel like I want to love you. But the problem is when that feeling goes away, I don't love you no more. Because it's Eros love. The foundation of this love is some characteristic in the other person which, please, you, I love you because you, you buy me jewelry. I love you because you cook my favorite food. I love you because, you, because the outfit you had on was, was something I like. But, but now all of a sudden, when you change your cooking and, and you change your jewelry, and now instead of giving me diamonds, you give me uh, a $25 gift card, I don't love you no more. Philosophy of Eros is that being loved depends on being attractive or beneficial in some way to another person. Because of this dependency, Eros is a conditional type of love. Watch this now. Get this. Eros is based on feelings and is me-oriented. Say that last statement with me. Eros is based on feelings and is me. Oh, listen, I love you as long as you please me. Now, there's nothing wrong with this kind of love existing between a husband and a wife. As a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and in other places in Scripture, Paul says when that arrow's love is existing between people that aren't married, arrows is out of place. Arrows needs to exit. Let's look at the next love. Philea or phileo. Same root. This is brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. Absolutely. That's why they lost for the Cowboys last week, because they love us. Uh, it is friendship love. And we say thank you, our brothers. It's the kind of love that's based on shared interests. This is the kind of love that exists between friends, common goals, personalities that just seem to get along well. It, it, it describes affection. It, it, it describes fondness or, or liking another person. It responds to appreciation. You gave me a gift. I gave to, Some of you got a late Christmas gift. You know why? Because the person that you gave a gift to didn't expect to get a gift from you. And after they did, they went and got you one. All right? Because that's phileo love. I ain't, I ain't think they're going to give me one. Now I feel guilty. I better give them one. That's phileo love. It's responsive. It responds to appreciation, respect, and kindness. It involves giving as well as receiving. But when it is greatly strained, it can collapse in crisis. It's higher level than eros because it's freely chosen, whereas eros is me-oriented, philia or phileo is we-oriented. Say that with me. Phileo is we-oriented. Say it again. Phileo is we-oriented. Here's the problem. If you stop being a friend to me, I ain't going to be no friend to you. Now, storge is kind of used in combination with phileo. This is familial, familial love. This is how we love as a family, love for family. Uh, this, this word is not actually found in Scripture. The word eros, Greek word, is not actually found in Scripture, but it's demonstrated in Scripture in the love that should exist between a husband and a wife that should not exist romantically between people that aren't married. I wish somebody would say amen there because it is true. You ain't supposed to be involved sexually if you're not married. I said you ain't supposed to be involved sexually if you're not married. And just because you have done it doesn't mean you shouldn't amen the fact. 
I mean, be a little bit better than giving yourself away by just not saying nothing. There, is, there are people sitting beside you that are noticing your silence. This would be a time to fake it till you make it. Don't know, everybody don't need to know your business. Storge, it's this term for the love that, that we're probably not very familiar with. The Greek word describes love and family members that have for one another. It, it, it mostly happens naturally. I mean, parents just love their kids, right? They're your kids. Kids love their parents. They're your parents. That's just natural. It's a special, unique kind of family love. Similar to Eros, it's not in the New Testament, but the concept is found in Scripture. Romans 12.10 presents an interesting combination of storge and philia or phileo. Paul commands the church to practice familiar love within the church. In other words, we are to have that familiar love, that family love with our brothers and sisters. When we're Christians, we are part of God. Somebody say amen, right? We're part of God's family. We ought to love each other like brothers and sisters. We are knit together not by the blood, but not by blood, but by the blood of Jesus Christ and by the Holy Ghost of God. Therefore, we should love each other with deep affection and store J love. There's something about being saved. Watch this now. You can meet a saved person for the first time and feel a love in them that you don't even feel for your blood relatives. The opposite of philostorgos, that's the combination. Romans chapter 12, verse 10 can be found in the Bible, astorges. Here it is in the Greek. Interesting, Romans chapter 1. Without natural affection. Anybody listening? That's, that, that's, that's storge's opposite of it. Huh? Do you hear me now? It, it's not, storge is family love that should exist between people that are related that should love each other. But Romans chapter 1 said, when men and men love each other and women and women love each other in the wrong way, he says it's unnatural love. That's God's way opposite. Somebody say amen. Come on now, world. Don't go messing up stuff. He said, he said but I've always wanted it. Well, guess what? Paul says it's unnatural. And just because it exists doesn't mean you should foster it. Amen. By the way, while I'm thinking about it. People say, well, I just felt that way, so I just followed my... Can you imagine how crazy your life would be if you did everything you felt like doing? You'd be locked up for mass murder. <laughs> against your own store J children. Don't act like you feel like hugging everybody you related to all the time. Come on now, I'm up here looking at y'all come in the building sometime. I can tell y'all drop your store J at the front steps, all right? <laughs> Agape. This is the noblest word for love in the Greek language. It's the word the scripture uses for God's love for us. It's also the kind of love that the Lord calls us to exercise towards others. It's the word which Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 3 when he says that we're rooted and grounded in love. It's used approximately 320 times in the New Testament. It's beyond passion. It's beyond natural affection. It's irrespective of rights. It's not kindled by merit or worth. I don't love you because you did something for me. It originates in its own God-given. You can't love agape unless you got God inside of you. 
It loves when the object is unlovable. It is action and it is a choice. But God commended his love toward us. Not when we started doing right. Not when we started coming to church. Not when we started preaching. Not when we got baptized. Not when we started putting tithes in the offerings. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Aren't you glad he loved you when you were a sinner? Aren't you glad he loved you when you didn't love him? That's agape love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Hey, that's agape love. It's a giving love. It's a sacrificial love. It's irrespective of rights. It's a volitional love. It's a chosen love. You don't love because somebody loved you first. You love because you choose to love. That's why when the question was asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, and mind, your strength. And the second, love your neighbor as yourself. This is why Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, love your enemies. You can't love your enemies phileo because they treat you wrong. You can't love your enemies arrows. You certainly don't have a feeling of pleasantry towards them. You don't love your enemies storge because there is no familial connection. The only way to love your enemies is agape. You got to choose to love them even though they do you wrong. And then he defines the action of that love by what he says after love your enemies. He says, bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you. Do you notice in verse number 44 of Matthew 5 that bless, pray, and uh, bless, pray, and do good have nothing to do with emotions. You bless people whether you feel like it or not. You pray for them whether you feel like it or not. You do good to them whether you feel like it or not. It's about time that the church of the living God quit using the word love colloquially like the world uses it and start using it like the word uses it. See, whenever the Bible says we love God, it's supposed to be agape. Whenever the Bible says God loves us, it is always agape. It's not storge. It's not eros. It's not phileo. Those are not bad loves, but they're not love that's love enough to keep you serving God. Because they're going to come sometimes you don't feel like coming to church, feel like reading your Bible, feel like you're saved. But if you love God agape, you'll do it because you choose to and your actions will demonstrate your love. So Paul says, Philippians chapter 1, I'm praying for your love. Then he says, that it may abound. The word abound means to overflow with abundance, to increase beyond set boundaries. The idea here is of a fountain of love that will come gushing out of the hearts and lives in an even greater capacity and measure. This word abound is the verb in the present tense. It calls for them to be always abounding and always growing in their love. Is anybody listening to me this morning? Paul said, I'm in a prison cell. I'm locked up. I'm locked down. But I still have joy. And I'm talking to people who cared about me when no other church would. And he says, as I'm in the prison cell, can't get to you. I'd like to get to you. I perhaps have an appeal. Maybe they'll let me out of here. But I'm praying from the prison cell what I don't need to be free to pray. I'm praying to Almighty God. And this is what I'm praying. I'm not praying that you get a new house, that you get a new phone, that you get a new job, that you get new decorate. No, 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 no. I'm praying for your love. And here's what I'm praying. I'm praying that your love would explode, that it would abound, that it would dwell in the, oh, I'm praying that your cup would run over in love. But he doesn't stop there. Then he makes this statement. More and more. To a progressively increasing extent. Advancing in the amount, in amount or intensity. Increasingly to a steadily growing extent 
or degree. Do, do you hear what he's saying? I, I'm, I'm praying that your love would overflow, but not just overflow, but that it would keep overflowing and that it would continue to overflow and that it would increase in overflow and that it would advance in overflow and that it would steadily grow in extent and degree of, I'm not just praying that, praying that it run out the cup, but I'm praying that it run out the cup onto the saucer and onto the saucer, onto the table and onto the table, onto the floor and onto the floor inside the garage. I'm just praying that it would just be oozing out of you more and 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 more because the foundation of the Christian life is love. So I was talking to the Lord back when I was thinking about a theme for this year. And the Lord sent me right here to this passage of Scripture. Here's what I want you to get out of Philippians chapter 1. Paul is writing to a church that he cared about. That he started, that he pastored, that he was burdened for. But he's writing to them about an issue that they've already started doing right. Anybody listening? It can't abound unless it exists. Some of you missed it. It can't overflow if it's non-existent. Your cup can't run over if ain't nothing in the cup. Somebody help me preach. So he didn't say, I'm praying that you have love. He said, I'm praying that your love abound. Here's what he's saying. Guess what, Philippians? Y'all wouldn't have sent me money if you ain't loved me. Y'all wouldn't have sent me money if you didn't love God. Y'all wouldn't be living how you're living. Listen, he, he said, look, your name suits your nature. You are a loving church. But here's what I'm saying, church. He's saying as good as you are at love. Here's my prayer for you. My prayer for you, Philippians, is that you would take an area where you're already doing good. Watch this now. And do better. You would take an area where you're already exemplary and have a better example. You take an area where you're already full and you push it over the brim. You take an area where you're already demonstrative and you do it with excellence. You take a, an area where you're already doing better than other people, but that doesn't mean you're necessarily doing your best. Here's my prayer. A church that's already got love in them. I'm praying that this church, Philippians, I'm praying that you all would abound, you would overflow, and I'm praying that the overflow wouldn't just happen in the first month on Vision Sunday or during missions conference or when the choir's got it cranked up or when you're feeling good. No, no, I'm praying that 365 days in the year, every single month, that your love would abound more and more. Amen. So the theme for this year, here it is, 2024, more and more. And here's what all my prayers for Crossroad Baptist Church. Wherever you're good. Hey, there's a lot going on good at Crossroads Baptist Church. Okay. Brother Dunn and my dad agree. There's a lot going good. Most of y'all may be leaving next week, all right? It's been nice knowing you. Let me try it again. There's a lot going good at Crossroads Baptist Church. But good ain't enough. Here's the problem. There's a book I have in my office called good to great. And, and basically the author says, the greatest enemy of great is good. See, see we think the, great, the enemy of great is bad. 
But truth be told, the enemy of great is not bad because great can tell that bad and great don't get along and bad can tell that great and bad don't get along and great and bad don't ever want to be close to each other because clearly they don't like each other. But sometimes good can make great think it's not needed because we're good to settle for good because at least good is better. Somebody better than bad. Somebody help me preach. Somebody's got to leave 2023 and go to 2024 and say, I'm sick and tired of good. It's time to go to great. And I may not be bad, but God didn't save me just not to be bad. God saved me to be great. Amen. And in this area of love, in, oh, I'm almost finished. Go to John 21. Let me help you. And now I'll, I'll quit. Game, don't come on to 424. 425. Some other ones come on before then, but just give me five minutes. Pull up John 21, would you? You got to get this love thing right, child of God. Now, here's the conversation. I want to give you this, and then you go home and look at it later. I promise you I'll be quick. This conversation in John 21 is going to be between Jesus and Peter, Peter that denied Jesus. Remember that? You remember Jesus? Luke 22 and 22, when you get a chance. Simon, Satan have, to, Satan have desired to sift you as wheat, but I pray for you that your faith will not fail, and when thou art converted, strengthen the brethren. Oh, Lord, I'll go all the way with you unto death. No, no, no. Before the cock crows twice, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny me thrice. Oh, Lord, I'll go all the way with you to the cross. Well, guess what? Jesus was headed to the cross, and Peter followed afar off because he wanted to be close enough to Jesus to get the good out of him, far enough from Jesus to go down with him. That's a whole other message for another day. I like Jesus on my bumper sticker, but I don't like Jesus on my social media. Close enough to, to, so I can get the benefits of being a Christian far enough that I don't lose the benefits of being a heathen. Preach, pastor. I got to Harry. I got to Harry. Now, listen. So, so he ends up getting asked, didn't you know Jesus? No, I didn't know him. Again, woman said, didn't you know? No, I didn't know him. Third time, didn't you know? No, I didn't know him. Then the third time, he went off cursing. Beep, 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 beep. That's the disciple said, I, I go with you all the way. I wonder how many shouters on Sunday cuss on Saturday. That's a whole other message. Because if Peter cussed, I know some of you do. And you haven't even written two books of the Bible. As soon as he denied Jesus, he looked at Jesus and wept bitterly because he knew he messed up. In John 21, he was so guilty about messing up, he quit. The Bible said he went back to fishing. Read it when you get some time, John 21. And guess what? He was so influential that six others followed him. That's the bad part about it. It seemed like the most popular people in, in, in Christian places are, are foolish people. And they're using their influence for the wrong direction. I'm going back to fishing. So he was going away from Jesus. You know what I like about Jesus? Jesus went looking for him. Aren't you glad even when you rebellious, he come looking for you? Amen. Preach, pastor. I'm so glad he was there when I came back home. No, no, no. He went out of the woods and found your broke down self. I'm so glad when I came back to Jesus, he was waiting for me. Jesus was standing outside the club asking you, what are you doing up in there? He didn't go in. But he was at the door. He was out there just staggering and stumbling. Uh, you drive, I'm just, I don't know, you better drive because I just don't feel right. Oh, Jesus, what are you doing here? Looking for you? Yeah, when Jesus showed up with Peter, Peter jumped in the water. Other times, embarrassed. Going to show up looking for Peter after Peter has denied him. 
Verse 15. So when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Peter, Simon, son of Jonas. By the way, Peter's name had been changed to Peter. Huh? But he was acting a fool. Jesus had called him by his old name. Simon, son of Jonas. Are you looking at verse number 15? Notice the question. Lovest thou me? Okay, write this in your notes. The word lovest there is agape. That's Jesus asking him. Lovest thou me? Okay? More than these. Study when you get some time. What are these? Lovest thou me more than these? Could be a number of things. What was he doing? Fishing. Do you love me more than fish? Could have been saying, right? Who was with him? Other disciples, right? Do you love me more than them? Do you love me more than you love your friends? Or he could have been saying, do you love me more than they love me? We don't know what he was saying. Could have been all three. The fact of the matter is we do know that he was saying, do you agape me? Not do you feel me because I do for you. Huh? Not because do you love me because we can for. Do you love me because you choose to with sacrificial commitment the way I chose to to leave glory to die for you. Lovest thou me. Now, notice what the, what the response is. Look at verse 15. He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou know that I what? Love. Okay. That Greek word is phileo. Okay. Our Bible says love, lovest and love. But you got to study the Greek. Jesus asked him, do you agape me? Peter responded, yeah, I phileo you. Huh? Jesus asked him again. Second time. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest, in your Bible, verse number 16, the word lovest, agape. Lovest thou me? He said unto him, yea, Lord, thou know I love thee. That word love is phileo again. Now, Peter knew what he was saying. We get, we're reading an English Bible, Okay. But when Jesus spoke to Peter, he said it very clear in a language that Peter knew. I'm asking you, do you love me the way I love you? Peter said, no, I love you like a friend. Then Jesus said again, do you love me the way I love you? Peter said, I love you like a friend. Now, look at verse number 17. He saith unto him the third time. You study this in the Greek. Simon, son of Jonas, lovest. This time Jesus changes the question. His lovest is phileo. Okay, Peter, you love me like a friend? Same word in our English text, but I'm talking about the Greek that you can't see here. You got to look it up. Lovest thou me, phileo. And Peter's response is, the third time, yeah, I love you like a friend. Now, now listen to me. You know what Jesus is getting ready to tell him in the next verse? You better love me like I love you because they're going to crucify you. And the only way you'll let them kill you is if you love me. Aren't you glad that Peter, that loved Jesus like a friend in John 21, before he went to heaven, learned to love Jesus like Jesus loved him. Now, when Paul prayed for Philippians, he wasn't praying that y'all increase in your friendship love. He was not praying that they abound in their family love. He was not praying just that husbands and wives would have more romantic love. He was praying that the love that they had for God already and for others overflowed continuously to an extensive degree. And we'll learn the next couple weeks. Because Paul knew 
if they get their love right, everything else in their Christian life will get right too. And I'll prove it to you if you come back. I'll prove it to you if you don't come back. Gentlemen, we'll make these notes available. Can we? Good. They'll put them up on the, on the screen and uh, a number that you, can, that you can get them. And I want you to go home and think about this. Because we live in a world that masquerades love. I don't think, I, I, I believe in my heart, Crossroads Baptist Church has in it people that love God. And that love each other. You know what else I believe? I believe as a pastor that if we're going to have the best year in 2024, that same love we already have needs to abound, guess what? More and more. Can I get an amen? amen. Father, I pray that you use the Bible. God, we may be doing good, but you want us to do great. And there's so much that Philippians 1 teaches us that is relative to love that we often view separate. That's why Jesus said, Peter, you got to love me. Because if I leave and you leave you here to live for me, you won't live for me if you won't love me. You, you won't die for me if you don't love me. You, you won't walk with me if you don't love me. When you, when you get tempted, you're going to give in if you don't love me. But if you love me, you'll go all the way. Pastor, I'm saved and I know the Lord. If you know it, would you raise your hand all over the building? I'm saved and going to heaven. God bless you. Put your hands down. Pastor, I want my love to abound more and more. God spoke to me today. Would you put your hand up? Come on, all over the building. God bless you. My soul on the floor and in the balcony. God bless you. Put your hands down. One more question. Pastor, I'm not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven, but I'm positive I don't want to go to hell. Could I tell you Jesus loved you? He died for you. God loved you. He sent you. Greater love is no man than this, and a man lay down his life for his friend. Let me say this morning, this afternoon now, Pastor, I'm not sure if I died today I'd go to heaven, but I want to go to, I'm sure I don't want to go to hell. I want to know personally the God that loves me. Anybody like that? Would you let me pray for you? Anybody? Anybody? Anybody on the ground in the balcony? Father, we want you more and more. We need you more and more. But we ain't going to want you, and we're not going to know we need you. We don't love you. And it's a choice. Everybody in this building loves you as much as they choose to. Now, God, help us to align our choices with your will. And get out of this congregation a love that will abound more and more. And, and we're going to find out at Crossroads Baptist Church if we get this love abounding more, more and more, there'll be a whole lot of other stuff in here that abound more and more. Wow. Thank you for your word. Keep working in us. We bless you for it. In Jesus' name. God bless you. Thank you for coming.